This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. We did want to welcome you and just and uh, review a little bit before we get started. So the, the topic today is habits of devotion. So we're really, we're, we're trying to think about, okay, what do we do with this problem at hand or problem in our hands, right, with the problem with the smartphone. So the first class, uh, Jake Simmons, he kind of gave the big picture of what's going on in our culture. We live in a culture, according to Neil Postman, that's amusing ourselves to death, entertainment, distraction. Uh, and then the last class, last week, we talked about, we talked about um, why that's a problem for us as believers, right? We're called to uh, see and seek after God as our source of eternal happiness. And today, this morning, I want to talk about how we can do that, talk about some habits of devotion. You know, ever since last class, I've been thinking about that term, devotion. Really, I think that's what this class is after, is how can we, as believers, be devoted to Christ in a distracted age? That's, that's really what we want to be. You can't be distracted and devoted. Now, I guess you can to some degree. I mean, we all struggle with distraction in different ways, but those are two uh, contradictory ideas of being distracted, pulled to and fro to different things, being devoted to something. So I want to talk about that in this class, what devotion can look like. Uh, one key book I wanted to recommend to you is Habits of Grace by David Mathis. Has anyone read that book? Of hands, anyone read that? Okay, we got a few. Um, that book is really, really good. And this subject, this idea of habits of devotion, really, it should be its own big class and talking about all of those. But since I have the good book to recommend, we don't have to do that, at least right now. So get that book and read it. I think that'll be helpful to you. I've simplified it down to two habits that we'll talk about. But I want to begin our time in Scripture, looking at Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you can open it, or you can just read along on your handout. I want to look at an illustration, a picture of devotion. What are we, what are we getting at when we talk about devotion? This is Luke 10, 38 through 42. I'm about two sisters, Martha and Mary, an older sister and a younger sister and family. This is Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Love that phrase, Jesus. I, I picture him talking to Martha, not in a condescending way, but just in a kind, gentle way. Martha, Martha, you're troubled and anxious about many things. I think that describes our culture, troubled and anxious. Why was Martha troubled and anxious? I think it's because she was distracted, distracted with much serving, much to be done. 
in, in the ancient church, the story was often seen as a parable of the monastic life versus the ordinary life, like monks are like Mary, and then everyone else is like Martha. I don't think that's an appropriate interpretation of, of this text, but I do think what they were getting at is this idea of contemplation, sitting at the feet of Jesus, seeing him, knowing him. The point of the story is that a heart devoted to Christ, sitting in his presence, is experiencing the good portion. Oh, what's interesting is Martha... Martha did many good things, right? So she's, uh, the point of the story isn't, oh, don't be like Martha. Martha's a disciple, and she's serving Jesus. I mean, think about it. Just think about it. If Jesus was coming to your house, like in the flesh, what would you do? I mean, I think cooking a good meal sounds pretty appropriate, right? But what Jesus is saying is, Martha, you're troubled about this Mary's experiencing the good portion, sitting at my feet, feasting on my presence, uh, having friendship with me, listening to my teaching. Uh, her one, one pastor talked about this text and said, sometimes we're too busy thinking more about the things to be done than the Lord to be loved. And I think that's a great summary. Or for us, we're distracted by entertainment, right? There's just so much content going on in our minds that it's hard to be devoted to Christ. But I wanted to start with a story because I think this is a parable of what, this is a true story, but I mean, for the sake of our class, this is a parable for what a devoted life can look like of in a world that's swirling with um, thoughts, entertainment, words, content. I mean, you can just open your phone and look at anything you want to. This picture of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus just still enjoying his presence, feasting on the good portion. That's what, that's what we long for. And the idea behind this class is that is to help us be like that, to, to form habits. If our world is sort of uh, going down the current of habits of just technology and entertainment, not really thinking much about how I spend my time and my attention, this class is about really setting some different habits, uh, habits that are going to help us be like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like, we want to be like Mary. How do we do that? Well, we do it through habits of devotion. That's where that book by David Mathis is so helpful. It talks about habits of grace. It's not, it's not you must do these things to be a good Christian, or, or you must do these things to be a Christian, but rather there's certain habits that if you spend time, cut, cut out time in your schedule to engage in these things, you can experience the good portion of peace in the presence of Jesus. That's what we long for. Uh, so I want to think about two of these habits together. One is silence and solitude, and the second is savoring Scripture. So silence and solitude and then savoring Scripture uh, the first habit is a, is a negative one, so it's something that we can pull away from, say no to, and then the second one is what we say yes to. Does that make sense? So it's like one habit that's, okay, say no to this, and then say yes to this. So silence and solitude. Here's a quote from a guy named Hans Borsma. Um, he wrote this, modernity is exceptionally noisy. 
She's talking about our culture, modern culture, exceptionally noisy. Traffic, construction, lawnmowers, radios, and TVs. Increasingly, people are concerned about noise pollution. Noise is ubiquitous. It's everywhere and often inescapable. And smartphones have perilously amplified the problem. Music, videos, news, and social media all produce noise, for they, are, for they all interfere with genuine listening. True, smartphones also enable listening. We can listen to an illuminating lecture or a Bach cantata. I don't know if is anyone listening to Bach cantatas on their phone. Hey, yeah, very well done. <laughs> on our phone, I'm not listening to that, so why? But for the most part, that's not what smartphones do. They give us the illusion of being in control, while in reality, they enslave us to our noisy distractions. I love that quote. The problem with the, the smartphone is not the technology itself, but it's the human heart that craves noise and distraction. We don't like sitting alone quietly with our thoughts. I think it was Blaise Pascal who said that that's man's greatest fear is to sit alone in a room quietly with your thoughts. I don't know if anyone can resonate with that or, or if anyone feels the, um, the anxious twinge of, okay, I'm going somewhere and realize I forgot my phone. You know, it's like, what am I going to do for the, for the five minutes that I'm walking from here to there without my phone? Or what am I going to do while I'm standing in line? I think this idea of noise, this is an apt metaphor for the digital, digital distractions we face. And it reminds me of how Jake started the class. I don't know if you remember, he talked about two different visions for society for the future. George Orwell's vision, which was kind of a totalitarian government is going to oppress us and control our thoughts. But then another vision was Aldous Huxley, who said, we're going to have so much pleasure that we're not even going to want to think. And I think that's the vision that the phones can often bring to us. One way to fight against this tendency is to practice silence and solitude. So David Mathis, his chapter on this topic is called Take a Break from the Chaos. I just love this. This is, this is going to be very practical. My hope for this class is going to be practical. Help give you some things that you can do. Silence and solitude is exactly what it sounds like. It's getting alone and it's getting quiet. Um, getting alone, getting away from other people, getting away from phones, getting away from the noise. It's just getting quiet. And I think the biblical justification for this is that, you know, when we're thinking about our nature as human beings, we're not machines. You know, a machine, you can turn on and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes, right? As long as there's battery power. Human beings, we don't work that way. We're created to live in cycles of work and rest, attention and rest. We see this in the life of Jesus himself, right? When he's, when he's ministering to the crowds, he'll, he'll take moments early in the morning. He'll get away from his disciples, away from everyone, and spend time with the Lord in prayer. And I think about that, I just think, wow, if Jesus in his incarnation, in his human nature, needs that time away from others, devoted to the Lord. How much more do we need that? Silence and solitude. Um, one way to think about it is it's a little bit like fasting. You know, you don't want to be fasting all the time. That's, that's, not, that's not a good habit to have. But periodically, taking a fast 
saying no to food or to entertainment or to whatever helps you remember what's most important. It kind of helps you devote yourself to something else. And I think silence and solitude can be like that, of pulling away, pulling away from the noise and saying yes to Christ. So one application I uh, just want to encourage you with is to resist the temptation to fill up every bit of uh, dead space, quiet space in your life with noise. So just think about that. Resist the temptation to fill up every quiet moment with noise, with, with content, with music. Now, these things are good things. So as I'm saying this, I, I, I'm applying it to myself first. Because when I drive, I'm a podcast guy. Does anyone listen to podcasts while they drive? Who, okay, let's just show of hands. Let's do a little bit of interaction. Who, when they drive, first thing they open is Spotify? Like, I'm going to listen to music. Oh, okay, well, you do both. Who's like music in the car? Okay, who's podcasts? Audiobooks? Okay, who's nothing? Like, I just want to be quiet. Oh, we got a few hands. Very good. You guys get the top score. Well done. No, I'm just kidding. It's not like that. Yeah. Well, when I drive, I love listening to podcasts, but I've, I've seen that oftentimes my gut reaction, as soon as I get in the car, is boom. Like, is there any updates on my podcast that I can listen to immediately? And sometimes it's very useful information, very helpful. Um, but I think that my tendency to want more content to be interested in all the time is feeding into this idea that I always have to be focused on something or that I just need noise in my ears all the time. The issue is not so much what we're listening to, but the fact that we're always listening to something. There's always noise in our ears. So I've tried, I, and I've, you know, had some measure of success, some measure of failure of having time set aside either after work or going into work of just riding in silence and, and praying. And it's actually been wonderful times to like reflect on, okay, what are my callings? What am I, what am I missing? What do I need to grow in? Another idea and again, Mike is going to teach next week, and he's going to talk more practically about technology too, like, okay, what are some habits to live wisely with technology? But I do want to include one that I read about I thought was helpful for silence and solitude. Um, try out a phone fast. So talking about fasting, saying no to uh, technology, yes to the Lord. Try out a phone fast. One person I read suggested one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. Is that one week a year I haven't tried yet of having one week a whole year without my phone. I don't know. I don't know how that would go. And maybe it's not feasible for you in your season of life. But that one hour a day, one day a week of having your phone turned off, um, that's been really, really life-giving to me as I've just sought to kind of quiet my heart before the Lord and spend time with my family, undistracted. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. One thing, again, we've tried, and I'm, I'm saying all this, I am not the example to follow this. So you have a rule, and there's all sorts of exceptions to the rule, but having the rule helps because it's something you're pulled back to. Okay, this is the regular habit. I found that in our home, if we have a place for our phones to go, it's really helpful. So we have like a little counter space 
And uh, uh, we've talked about, okay, let's just keep our phones here. And if we need it, we can come and use it. I mean, it's almost like I'm treating myself as a little child because I'm just prone, I'm so prone to grabbing it and looking at it for no reason. Do you ever feel that? Like, I just find myself looking at my phone. Like, why am I looking at my phone right now? There's no reason to be doing that. But if we have a little section on our counter, I'll put my phone there, and then, yeah, and even if I just want to go check it, that's, that's fine, right? So I'll go and check it, but do it there, and then leave it there and come back to what I'm doing. I, to me, it was very helpful because I just lack self-control if I have my phone on me, I'm just always tempted to glance and see, okay, do I have another email? Do I have something else? So maybe, maybe that's a helpful practice. And why, are we, why do we want to do that? Well, because we want to cultivate time quietly before the Lord and to be present to others as much as possible. So this is still under silence and solitude. As much as possible, have a daily time where you're alone with God in, in his word and in prayer. I think that's a pretty common practice. I say as much as possible because it's not a rule in scripture. Like you're not in sin if you miss your quiet time. Maybe somebody just needs to hear that. Like you're not, it's not required by scripture to have a daily quiet time, a daily devotion, but it's a helpful practice. And I say as much as possible because I have three kids under three at home. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, silence and solitude is a foreign concept in, in our house, so it's not, it's not something easy to get to, but it's something to work for, right? It's something to really think, okay, I want to I press in to this. An important caveat uh, I want to share about this, about silence and solitude, is I've heard some people today talk about what they call listening prayer, where it's kind of like this idea of, okay, if I'm silent, I can hear God's voice better. Um, if what somebody means by that is when things are quiet, I can reflect on Scripture and what God says in Scripture, I think that's wonderful. But I would caution against this idea of, okay, when things are quiet, I heard God tell me, this is what you should do today. I, I've heard things like that a lot. I just want to encourage you that, and what we're going to talk about, the way to hear God's voice is in his word. His word is infallible. His word is his voice. Assume if you have a thought, like if, you're, if you practice silence and solitude, assume if you have a thought, it's, it's your thought, okay? This isn't God's word speaking to you. This is your thought, and take that thought to scripture, and then see if it lines up, and then move forward. Does that, does that make sense? I don't, I don't want to wanna, wanna be too strong on this because I do believe the Holy Spirit prompts us to specific things at specific times. But I don't think it's a helpful practice to say, okay, I'm going to do listening prayer. I'm going to get away from my Bible and just sit quietly and try to hear God speak to me. Well, no, God, God is speaking. He's still speaking. He's speaking what he has always spoken, and he's speaking it to us today as well. Uh, this quote, I think, from David Mathis is very helpful. He says, getting away, this should be on your outline, getting away, quiet and alone, is no special grace on its own. But the goal is to create a context for enhancing our hearing from God and his word and responding back to him in prayer. Silence and solitude, then, 
are not direct means of grace themselves, but they can grease the skids, like caffeine, exercise, and singing, for more direct encounters with his word and in prayer. So this idea of silence and solitude, of saying no to the noise, that's not in and of itself an encounter with God, but it's helping you so that you can focus and meditate on his word. It's basically, to go back to Mary and Martha, silence and solitude is saying, okay, I'm not going to go and be busy in my mind and heart, having things before me all the time. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. So that's habit number one, silence and solitude. Habit number two is savor scripture. And this is the one I'm really excited to talk about. Jake started talking about it uh, in the first class, but I just want to, I want to walk through, okay, if, if you're following along and you say, okay, I want to engage in silence and solitude, I want to carve out this time during the day to dive into scripture, what should that look like? Okay, open my Bible. How, how do I, how does my Bible reading go from, okay, I'm just reading words on a page to I'm experiencing the good portion of fellowship with Jesus? That's what I want to call savoring scripture. And the first thing to remember is that this is the intention of scripture, that Uh, J.I. Packer says it like this, Scripture is God's attempt to make friends with us. That is a wonderful quote, wonderful description of Scripture. God's Word is, it's a covenantal book, which means God is coming to us to form a relationship with us. So anytime we open Scripture, we shouldn't just think about it in terms, okay, I'm coming to learn about God, but rather, I'm coming to meet with God. He is present to me in the words of this text in a unique way. Does that that make sense? It's almost like um, if if you think about when we we take the Lord's Supper, we talk about how the presence of Christ is, he's spiritually present in the elements of uh, the bread and of the cup. A similar thing is happening in Scripture that it doesn't just remind us about God, But God's presence is here whenever we come to this word with faith. So how do we we go about reading it? And why do I say savor scripture? I I use the language of savoring scripture intentionally. Um, Last week I mentioned my love of fast food. And uh, and Vinny encouraged me and said he also liked fast food. So I was like, okay, it's okay. I'm not the only one who likes a late night snack for fast food. Um, but we also like really good food. And so like once a year, you know, if we're on vacation, we'll always, we, really, we will budget for this. Like we'll budget for, okay, let's do a nice meal together. And a couple years ago, we went to a restaurant in Orlando called Haleo. It's by a guy um, named Jose Andres, who's like a famous chef. I did, Maria found all this and said, hey, here's where we should go. So I was like, okay, let's do it. It was, it was the best meal we've ever had. It was the slowest meal we've ever had, and it was the most expensive meal we've ever had. So it was kind of all of those wrapped up together, but it made an impression. We're still talking about it today. I mean, it had, it was really, it was really crazy. There were 18 tiny courses. It was one of those types of meal. So it's like a, like a bite-sized course, 
and then you would eat one. It was, pint, it was paired with wine, not a glass of wine, each one, but just a sip, you know, a sip of wine with each one that, that you, would, you would do course after course after course. And the idea was that you would savor it. So there was a little course, you would eat it, then you would wait, and then the next one would come, then the next one would come. But what made the experience so wonderful was our server, Freddie. Freddie Freddy was a guy, like, he was actually kind of weird because while we're eating it, he was, like, standing here looking at us. But, but with a smile on his face, just like, I want you to enjoy this as much as I do. He, um, he would explain each course, kind of where it came from, the story behind it, how um, each course related to the chef's history in some way. It's really interesting. So it wasn't just, okay, this potato dish. It was the chef's mother-in-law's potato dish, and he grew up eating it and savoring it. This, uh, his, his involvement really inspired me. It inspired me to enjoy each dish. <clears throat> and I was thinking about it. I was like, the best times of Bible reading are like this. The best times of Bible reading aren't fast food times of let me get a quick bite as fast as I can and kind of move on. The best times of Bible reading are slow. They, they don't, they linger. They, you're, not, you're not coming in with so much of an agenda of I need to get through this and get on with the rest of my day. Of I'm coming to just slowly sit and enjoy God's word. So I want to offer four steps, four ideas for savoring scripture. Um, this, is, this is the alternative to mindless technology habits. So I would just encourage you, like, maybe one idea for application as you're thinking about this whole session is maybe before um, your phone in the morning, if morning time works for you, try to do something like this. Not a, it doesn't have to be exactly like this, but savor scripture before your phone. Might be just a simple principle to try to, try to apply. So four steps. Well, the first step is pretty straightforward. Read. <laughs> you have to read the text. You have to read the Bible. Again, this is Hans Borsma. He says, we don't get the capital W word, this idea of fellowship with Jesus, without the small w words. God is a God of words. He, he speaks to us through the text of Scripture. This is David Mathis. He says, he still, and I think this is just wisdom. He says, at the end of the day, there is simply no replacement for finding a regular time and place, blocking out distractions, putting your nose in the text, and letting your mind and heart be led and captured and thrilled by God himself communicating to us in his objective written words. If you feel uncomfortable in the scriptures and inadequate in the art of Bible reading, the single most important thing you can do is make a regular habit of reading the Bible for yourself. Let me encourage you with that. I'll just pause there for a second. No matter how much you understand, no matter how much you feel as you read, let me encourage you just Commit to this habit of regular reading the Bible for yourself. There is no substitute for a few focused minutes each day in the text. <clears throat> you may be surprised how much the little bits add up over the long haul. As much as we want a quick fix, some fast lesson that makes us near experts in just a few short minutes, the best of Bible reading isn't learned overnight, 
or even a semester of lectures, but day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Commit to reading the Bible, no matter how much you feel when it's happening. I think that's, that's part of this habits of grace that leads us to the good portion of fellowship with Jesus. A good principle is uh, to take a smaller text and read it several times. And another principle is if the text is fairly, sometimes your Bible reading is fairly obvious what the meaning is, and sometimes it's not so much. So John 3.16 pretty easy to get the meaning. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, I get the meaning. I want to meditate on that now. Some texts are less so. Revelation 18, 11, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Anyone want to give me what that means off the top of your head? I, I couldn't just off the top of my head give you what that means. When you come to a difficult text, don't be afraid to use get a commentary or a study Bible that just helps you understand what the words themselves mean. I'll never forget uh, the time I read through G.K. Beale's shorter commentary on Revelation. We were going through Revelation as a church, and I was trying to read it on my own. I just thought, like, I don't understand this at all. Like, the, I, I, very, I understand very, very little of this. And sometimes the people I hear who are very dogmatic about this is exactly what it is. Here's the time for this, the time for this, the time for this. It's like, I don't, I don't buy that either. I don't, I don't know. But I read his shorter commentary on Revelation. I used it for my devotions for several months because I just wanted to walk through the text of Revelation and understand it better. And it, it helped me. It was so edifying to see, okay, this is what the Bible means. There's several tools that help us help us do that. And that really deserves a class all on its own of how to understand the Bible. Second step, meditation. There's no secret formula for Bible reading, but I think meditation, lingering on the text, um, thinking about how it applies to our lives, is probably uh, the most neglected and most important part of our daily devotions, I, I would argue. Thomas Watson says this, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. So, like, your life is a cold day, and you come in to read your Bible. He's saying that meditation is like lighting a fire and just enjoying the warmth. Oh, don't, you, don't you want to do that on a cold day or a bonfire outside on a fall evening? I just want to warm myself by that fire. Meditation is slowing down, considering a few verses and how they apply to our lives. Um, yeah, and I, th I think just a couple of questions you can ask yourself. How, okay, how do I do this? When you're reading a text, maybe ask these questions. What does this say about God? Don't, don't miss that. The Bible's about God. Okay, and that's a basic statement. But just read, okay, what is this saying about God? What does this say about me and who I am? What does this say about Jesus? How is this calling me to respond? These are all questions that, as you ask, helps you meditate on the Word and its meaning. The difficulty is that this takes time and attention, right? So you can't, you can't have a, um, a really set goal of, oh, I'm going to get through this much text and be done. And now sometimes there's, there's times for that where you want to read through the whole Bible quickly, and that's a good practice, but I think 
One practice we need to grow in is slowing down and meditating on short bits of Scripture. So I want to share just my, my habit as of late. Again, not as, oh, this is the model, but it's just to give you an idea of something, something you could do. So I'm going through uh, Romans in my daily devotions, and I'm just reading maybe a paragraph at a time as I get to a word or a phrase or a sentence that really that just grabs me, stands out to me, I just, I pause. And I'll sit and I'll think about that. And what I've been doing since the weather's been nice is I'll, this is early in the morning, and I'll get up and actually go on a walk after I read that. And I think my neighbors, if any of them are up, think that's very weird because I'll be speaking out loud. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk and just talk and say, um, and pray over out loud what I read. So the other day, I was reading Romans 12, phrase, let love be genuine. Jumped out to me. Let love be genuine. I just asked, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to love somebody? What does it mean to let love be genuine? And so what I did is I went, I read that, sat down, thought about it, went outside, and just prayed. I said, okay, Lord, you called me to love Okay, what does it mean to love somebody? Well, like Jesus is the embodiment of love. He gave himself up for others. Okay, Lord, help, help me today to give myself up for others. But then the text doesn't just say love others. It says let love be genuine. So I was thinking, what does that mean? Let love be genuine. Well, genuine, okay, that's the opposite of fake. So I said, okay, Lord, don't, don't let me love others for what I can get from them, expecting something in return. Let me just love other people today. And I was just walking, praying that out loud. And I think that helped the word of God sink down into my soul in a way that just do, 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 going right through it wouldn't do. Does that make sense? You, you don't have to follow that habit. You can create your own. But some habit of not just, not just going from reading into the day um, that's a good start. Like if, if you don't have a habit of daily Bible reading, I'd encourage you just don't, don't hear all that stuff. Just hear, okay, try to find some time to read the Bible. That's, that's a great place to start. But as you do, think about that. Okay, one phrase, one sentence, one thought to sit down on and meditate on. Chewing, savoring what you read. Okay, number three, prayer. Um, I, I find that for me, prayer works best whenever I'm responding to what I've read about in Scripture, what I've heard in Scripture. So I don't know about you guys, if you have daily times of prayer that, um, you know, you, maybe you have a list, prayer list. I think that's, that's wonderful, and I try to do that as well. Um, but for me, in my devotions, prayer works best when I hear God's Word in Scripture, meditate on it, what it means, and then respond to it in prayer. So whatever the content of my devotion is that day, it's always some bit of prayer of response to that, and that helps that, um, helps that sink in. And the fourth step is um, contemplation, just sitting quietly, thanking God that he's present to us, in us, uh, to us in the text of Scripture. Okay, so an important caveat, again, I just want to reemphasize that this idea of daily devotions, it's not a requirement in Scripture. I'm not telling you, okay, if you don't do this, you're in sin. 
not true. Different seasons allow for different levels of this. We encourage you with that. Again, like th- this does not look the same for me as it did in a previous season, as it might in another season. You have to figure that out for yourself. Uh, but just to encourage you with to move toward that. Okay, let's, let's come back to where we began, Luke 10, 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. So the reason we're doing this class is that we live in an age that nibbles on entertainment. It's, if we were taking the food metaphor, it's just nibbles, and then, but the soul remains hungry, right? We know this. We're made for more than the shallow entertainment uh, culture that we live in. And we're doing this class because we believe that like Mary, we really can sit at the feet of Jesus and experience the good portion with him. Again, there's several, several other habits that I think would be helpful to talk about, but we don't have time for that. So I'll just encourage you to read David Mathis's book, Habits of Grace. Uh, I think it will bless you. It'll encourage you. It'll motivate you toward, toward these things. So let's pray. And then I think we could have maybe five minutes of a question or two if you guys have any. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for <clears throat> this Sunday. Thank you that we get to come and devote ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you've drawn near to us. You've spoken to us and your word. Help us to sit at the feet of Jesus through your word and savor what we find there. Help us to find times of silence and solitude to reflect on you, uh, to pray to you. Lord, and beyond all else, help us to glorify you with our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone dash you.